Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 13 of the New Standard Podcast. My guests this week are Darren Bearcloth, the legendary free rider, as well as Phil Metz, who has been on the podcast before and will be talking about his experience at the Nationals, the U.S. Nationals downhill race uh, this weekend at Mammoth. Uh, if you want to get straight to the interview with Darren, you can skip to about five minutes into the episode, and the interview with Phil will be about 21 minutes into the episode. However, just before I get to that, I wanted to talk briefly about something um, that I think is incredibly important. And this isn't a political podcast, so I'm not going to talk to you about my specific political beliefs. If you're interested in that, you can always shoot me an email at thenewstandardpodcast at gmail.com. But if you're like me, you're probably looking at a lot of the things that are happening right now in in the United States and in the in the world and feeling a little bit powerless, like there's not really much that you can do to, to help fix things. Well, I want to talk to you about three ways that I think you can fix things and uh, you can start to help make things better in, in a small way. So the first one is to educate yourself. Uh, put your ego on the shelf for a little while and spend some time reading what both sides of any specific topic that troubles you think. If you just assume that the other side are a bunch of apes and and that they have no justified reason for, for thinking the way they, they think, then there's no way that you can create a dialogue with them. There's no way that you can then find some some kind of solution that, that meets somewhere in the middle. It's important to not just say this is a problem. It's also to say it's also important to say this is a problem and here's how we can fix it. The second thing that you can do is uh, figure out what your local politicians believe. If you Google your city name plus uh, city government, you'll find probably a list of people in the city council and the mayor's office who you can contact and also you can google their names and then find out what their platforms are and what what they've supported in the past and you should reach out to them with issues that you think they're not addressing or not correctly addressing ultimately your your government works for you and so if you don't tell them what you expect of them then there's no way that they can know that they're they're not doing a good job it's I mean, it's unreasonable to, to imagine that, that you should have expectations for somebody but not tell them what those expectations are. In the U.S. as well, you can go to contactingthecongress.org and you can find the email and phone number of your local uh, representatives and senators. And in Canada, you can go to lop.parl.gc.ca and click on About Parliament, and uh, you'll find a link called Parl Info at the bottom of the page. And that will uh, lead you to a page where you can you can select the House of Commons and find out who your local member of Parliament is as well. So definitely spend a little time and, and reach out to them and, and tell them what issues you think are important and, and what they can do about it. Finally, go out and vote in local elections. If you think that your your vote doesn't really count in national elections, well, I'll tell you what, in local elections it really can. In the U.S., the average voter turnout for, for local elections is about 20%. So think about how many people live where you live. Think, 
think that, you know, probably 75% of people are, are eligible voters and then take 20% of that and think that if you go out and vote and get 10 friends to go out and vote in any given local election, you could potentially be swinging an entire election just based on that. So again, I mean, this ties into learning what your local politicians believe and and reaching out to them and then follow up on that and, and only vote for people who you think are going to support positions that are important to you. Uh, all of these things are pretty easy and they don't really require you to go that far out of your way to do them. But yes, they require a little bit of effort. But you know what? Without putting in any effort, we're not going to solve the problems that that are facing us. And if we just continue to ignore these problems, then uh, they're, they're just going to fester and get worse. And, and so um, I think it's important for everybody to, to take a step and, and do a little bit more than just post a link on Facebook or, or Twitter and actually, actually go out and, and, and perform some action in, in a small, in the small way that you can. Uh, so with that said, here is the interview with Darren. I've got Darren on the line now. So how's it going, Darren? What's up? Going pretty darn good. How are you doing, bud? I'm uh, I'm excellent, man. It's uh it's great to finally have uh have uh, gotten in touch with you. Indeed, yeah. I've been uh been a pretty busy guy these days. I got lots on the go. Sure. Yeah. I mean, first thing uh is uh I wanted to congratulate you on the on the birth of your daughter, man. Ah, thanks. Appreciate it. Is that, um, you know, changing your, like, are you, you going to change your schedule, your riding style, whatever, because uh, now you're, you, the fact that you've got your daughter um, here on your mind? Yeah, well, you know, it's one of those things where um, you never know how it's going to affect you until you actually have a, have a child. But uh, for me, it's definitely a motivational thing, right? Now I'm just super motivated to get out and, um, and get out and do some rad stuff and provide for the family. You know, that's a, that's a big priority now. Those are some, uh, definite feelings that, uh, I kind of expected to come along, but even more so now that I actually, you know, have a child in my hands and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, my chick's super rad. Um, we've just been kind of doing shifts. Like I think it was, uh, the second, third day after we had our kid, um, I, I had a, a shoot scheduled, to go film. And, um, you know, I just took like an evening shift and an early morning shift, you know, took her, took their daughter off her hands and let her sleep. And then, you know, she let me peace out and go ride for the day and come back and help when I can. So, but, uh, yeah, it all, it all boils down on how rad your chick is. In my <laughs> opinion. <laughs> Cause if you got like a super cranky baby and your chick's just like, you're not going anywhere. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right on. Um, so yeah, the, the reason that I initially reached out to you is, um, is cause you, uh, you as well as, um, uh, McCall and, uh, along with, uh, the, the rest of like the planning crew from, from Red Bull announced some changes being made to, uh, the Red Bull rampage this year. So I was wondering if, um, if you could just tell us what what those changes are, and and more importantly, what why did you make uh, make those changes? What what was the impetus for that? Well, like the bottom line, like Rampage is turning into such a big beast of an event. You know, like back in its early stages, it was just a bunch of dudes that uh, had a sport that they wanted to go and 
and uh, go shred. And Red Bull's like, hey, man, this is actually sounds pretty cool. Let's uh, let's do this event. And, you know, all the athletes were like, heck yeah, freaking awesome. Thanks for putting on an event because it's the only one of its kind. And it went from those honest beginnings to now people rely on it for their career. And, you know, it, it's turned into like a make or break um, for some people's careers, you know, in throughout their year. And like the media exposure is freaking insanely huge. It's, it's one of the most biggest events out there. Um, you know, in terms of all action sports, right. I, I could easily say in, in my opinion and, uh, you know, and for good reasons. Um, so with that being said, it's, uh, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, like there's growing pains with every event and, uh, you know, things are changing and, um, you know, like we're putting a lot on the line out there and, you know, with uh, recent events, people keep on getting hurt and that kind of stuff. It's, um, you know, it's necessary to, to make uh, all the changes that you can for, you know, making the, the event safer, making it funner for us. You know, it's a lot of stress for us going up there and we got to dig and then we got to practice. And there's so much that goes into that event for from an athlete standpoint that, you know, all the athletes, we all kind of stood together and, and said, you know what, like something's got to change, you know, we got to make this better for us, make it a little easier, whether it's financial reasons or whether it's just time. Um, and, and a lot of the time it's, uh, lots of weather issues, like the wind, you know, picks up and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, it's great that Red Bull stood back and said, yeah, you know what, we're, we're totally willing to, uh, to listen to your needs. And they adapted to what we were pretty much wanting like across the board no not everything that we wanted but uh definitely um you know our our needs are definitely being heard and, and change is, is happening that's great um one one of the uh big changes is a reduction to the number of riders who are going to be there without a, a qualifying uh before the main event and i'm wondering because um as you were saying, because it's such a an important event for so many riders, um, was that generally uh, like was that met with general uh, applause, or or did uh, a lot of riders not really like that um, that change? Well, you know, obviously there's some people on the bubble that should be there that aren't um, in the event. Obviously, with 20 athletes, because there's there's a lot of athletes that are uh, are deserving and more than capable of riding it. So it sucks for those guys that kind of got pushed out, but on the other end, you know, the, the, the other athletes that were in the top 10, it's nice for us to be able to say, okay, there's only so many athletes trying to pick a line down this mountain. So like you gotta, you gotta think there's so many areas of concern um, in previous years that we wanted to help improve and like line choice and people fighting over lines, that was a huge concern. So like one of the easiest solutions is just like, Hey, let's just make it freaking less riders. That's going to cost the events going to be cheaper to run. Um, you know, every, all the costs come down. Uh, there's less interference with athletes. And at the end of the day, there's less, um, you're not ending up forcing people to ride something that, they necessarily wouldn't want to ride or don't ride, you know, mm -hmm. especially with the FMB being pulled out. It was kind of a unanimous decision um, between all of us. Cause you know, we've seen over the years, like uh, you know, given there's always the exception of people that, you know, end up riding it and do well, like Janone was, is a perfect example of that. But for the most part, it's kind of savage to, 
force someone to ride rampage that doesn't ride that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm. it's such an intense event on its own. It's like, you know, there's, there's, there's always been a handful of us that ride that type of terrain and really enjoy it throughout the year. But for the most part, a lot of the other guys just do that type of terrain once a year and that's it. Right. And uh, that was, I guess, one of my questions that I, you kind of answered there, which is that you get a lot of guys who are, um, that, like this, this event kind of brings together a lot of different kinds of riders. Like you get uh, World Cup riders in there and you get, um, you know, di- people who aren't, as you said, riding this kind of like big mountain uh, style. So are you, are you hoping to, to keep it more to, to guys who are kind of used to it or, or um, will this event allow those, those types of riders uh, a little bit more freedom? Well, it's not necessarily for freedom. Cause you know, you gotta, you gotta boil it back down to what this event was originally for. Mm-hmm. This event was originally for those athletes that do this stuff. Right. Right. Like it's a small handful of, of guys that actually want to go out and ride big mountain stuff. Like, mm-hmm. like that in its essence is that's what this event is for. It's Red Bull's basically giving us an avenue to showcase what we would love to do to the rest of the world. Cause otherwise we'd be out in the mountains doing it by ourselves and it'd just be on the, the odd video part here and there. But you know, Red Bull brings it to the, the masses, you know? Awesome. Um, all right. Switching gears just a little bit. Um, I'm wondering, so your, your main bike, uh, sponsor, like frame sponsor now is uh Canyon for the last um, year and a half. And I'm wondering is, so how is, um, how does your role with them work? Are they just, uh, giving you, uh, frames and, and, you know, you, you're kind of, um, promoting the brand as you, as you ride, or do you, uh, kind of expect to have a role somewhat like um, I'm looking at like Cam Zinc with YT where when YT expanded to the US um, he has like a I mean he's running the uh, along with his brother the the American arm of that yeah absolutely for me um, definitely the, the business factor it definitely intrigues me and it's something I'm interested in um, it's just all got to come into place um, I've talked to him a little bit about that but that's just way down the road so from the right now, I'm basically a sponsored athlete promoting a brand and shredding all the bikes and uh, having fun traveling on the globe and uh, making everyone drool of all the amazing <laughs> places that we get to ride. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, so far it's been amazing, actually. I've, uh, I've actually been insanely impressed with all of their bikes. And, you know, going from a, a big brand um, from so many years, you're always kind of like, ah, you know, you're, you're a little skeptical, right? Because, you know, you, you're so... Um, you know, privileged to be, you know, I used to be privileged to be one of the, with one of the biggest and best brands out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going to another brand, I was always like, okay, what's this going to be like? And I'm, I'll be honest with you, man, like every single bike that I've been on, I'm like, wow, I didn't think that it could be better, but it is <laughs> like, I'm actually sitting on, on the, uh, the stitch 720 slope bike. And I never thought I'd say it because, you know, I helped design the P slope back in the day. And, and you know what, this bike is way better than any other slope style bike on the, on the planet. And it's like, you know, with that being said, it's like, I'm, I've been very impressed with all their bikes. So, uh, you know, basically keep an eye out for these bikes. Once, uh, once you all in North America, get your hands on them, I, uh, would definitely say, give them a good run for their money and, uh, definitely give them a chance for sure. Well, the other thing too with those the German brands is that a lot of them are a lot bigger than 
than we know. They're just really big. Oh, big in, time in Germany, right? Yeah, like it was funny. Like for years, I've been trying to tell all the North American guys, like you guys got to go to Eurobike and check out, you know, like all the European companies because you know everyone in North America just kind of thinks that it's North America and that's it. And they don't really open their eyes. But, you know, when you finally do go over there, you're like, Oh my God, there's like, there's like 10 big brands that are humongous. That you never even heard the name of, <laughs> you know? So it's pretty crazy. Um, so when you're not biking or filming or building, um, it's, it's pretty clear from, from previous interviews you've done that, uh, you love to just kind of be outside, you know, shooting bows, hunting, riding, uh, ATVs, riding motorcycles, traveling, whatever. Um, but I'm yep. curious with all, with all of that, is there some, something that you haven't done, um, that you're like, I, I would really like to try that. Well, I need to get shacked surfing. I've still never done that. I've been surfing like almost my whole life and definitely suck at surfing, but, uh, cause it's such a hard sport, but I definitely need to get shacked before I die. That's for sure. <laughs> awesome. All right. And, um, a last question, and then I have a few like kind of uh, rapid fire questions for you. Um, but this one, I I will cut out of the podcast if uh, it's a problem for you. But I heard from a um, friend of a friend of yours, and uh, who's a good friend of mine, that I should ask you about okay. a time uh, that you uh, did mushrooms and ended up in a strip club for twenty four hours. Is that true? Uh, definitely ended up in a strip club for more than 24 hours, but it was no, no drug induces going on. It was just classic old whiskey sours. <laughs> All right. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, I like to kind of finish off the, uh, these interviews with some kind of like, uh, rapid, rapid fire questions. So, Shoot. all right. Starting with what's your favorite biking movie or video? Rad. Uh, coffee or beer? Beer, duh. What's the most scared you've been on the trail? <sighs> most scared I've been on the trail? Probably when crashing. For sure. What's your <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite piece of gear? And can you give a one-sentence review? Uh, what? Be more specific. Uh, like not not your bike, but but um, some kind of riding gear that you use. Um, I definitely say the Evoc packs. They're epic. If you only had one place you could ride for the rest of your life, where would it be? Home. What's a tip that's helped you out in riding or in life? Relax. Let it ride. What's your favorite post ride drink? Beer. <laughs> A uh, documentary is, or I guess a movie is going to be made about your life. What genre is it and who plays you? Ooh, what genre? Action sports, of course. <laughs> um, and who plays me? Um, Bodie from Point Break. You're about to be sentenced to death. What's your last meal? Entree, dessert, and a beverage. Ooh, good one. Um, oh, I'd probably say a nice big elk backstrap dessert would be cheesecake and a beverage uh i would go for a lafroig 45 awesome all right um do you have um any sponsors or people you'd like to thank 
freaking hell. I'd love to thank them all. Without any of them, nothing, none of this would be possible. So let's start at the top. Let's go Red Bull, GoPro, Adidas Eyewear, IXS Protection, Some Real Clothing, 510 Shoes, um, Canyon Bikes, DVO Suspension, Spank Part, Shimano, um, Lead Lenser, uh, Avena Originals, um damn i'm forgetting somebody i always do oh yeah evoc and maxif got it um and finally if people want to follow your work or, or see what you're uh the latest that you're up to where should they go uh my instagram which i believe it's d Bearcloth, and then my facebook page which is also my facebook um it's just darren Bearcloth, and that's my fan page wicked Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. No worries, yes. I hope you all enjoyed that interview with Darren Barracloth. So now coming up, I talked to Phil Metz, who was in 10th place at the U.S. Nationals downhill race this weekend in Mammoth. And so, yeah, Phil uh, Phil connected with me, and we, we talked a little bit about, about the race weekend and uh, some of the things that went on. So without further ado, here's the interview with Phil. Uh, how's it going, Phil? Um, it's going very well. How about you? Pretty good, man. So yeah, I was wondering um, if you could give us like a little recap of of the weekend. I saw online that there was a little bit of controversy with uh, the USAC, the the USA Cycling Association, and uh, but also the the race seemed pretty good. So so yeah, how was it? Um, the race went very well. Um, I haven't had a you know the best season by my standards. Well, my teammates got injured at the beginning of the or at Mountain Creek, and so we were unable to attend Angel Fire. So since uh, Mountain Creek, this was the first big race I've been able to attend. Um, we did a uh, actually a BC Cup in your area at uh, Golden uh, Kicking Horse, um, which was a good kind of warm up before uh, Nationals. But uh, Nationals itself, last year I felt on point. There's a lot of like the course is hard to describe because. The, it's very dry as you expect in California, but the terrain is this like loose pumice. It's a volcanic stone. So you're riding on like, it's almost a combination between what looks like rocks, but it feels more like sand. How, how did you feel uh, about it? Like, were you, were you pretty good by the end of the weekend or, or did it take yeah. you quite a while to um, kind of adjust to that? Uh, it took me a few runs last year. I felt really good on this course. Uh, and I was hoping to feel really good right off the bat, and that wasn't the case. They, there's a few things they did to the course um, with like the taping, and just subtle things about where you place the tape and poles can dramatically affect line choice. And I was pretty well known for being one of the guys to actually huck one of these like big gaps uh, over like a huge. It was essentially a rock garden. They called it the Widowmaker. <laughs> last like last last year a bunch of people were getting hurt like on this one feature and like i almost crashed on it and you know i was kind of like looking at it and i noticed that there's a landing like way past where everyone else was landing and it, it by all means it was probably the hairiest thing i've ever tried so last year i like you know i just compressed and hucked the whole thing um but this year they taped it out, so that was my, my one big advantage. Because last year it was only myself and Logan Bingelli who were hitting it, and that easily made up two or three seconds. Right. Uh, for this year, I mean, you were you were like two seconds off of the the podium pace, 
Um, but I noticed that there was the the times were really compressed up at the top. That I mean, apart from Aaron Gwynn, um, the the difference between there's like a pack of people, um, kind of all in that that you it's know, like two point five. Uh, 325 like that range yeah exactly yeah it it was insane because i don't know where aaron gwynn takes his time off from because <laughs> there, there wasn't like one noticeable section that he was better than anybody else i mean he's better than everybody else but if you look at riders side by side there's not like that one section oh yeah he just took off four seconds right there right so the fact that he's able to take off nine seconds from Mitch Rapolato and then twelve seconds from me is just mind-boggling. Um, well, plus the the fact that it was only a three-minute uh, and some change course. It's not like it was you know one of these four and a half minute uh, extended downhills um, like like Fort Williams or something. Yeah, I mean, like I think one of the things that we're finding out is in the U.S. like. Gwyn is a World Cup rider, and then we have a bunch of mid-pack, sometimes World Cup racers like Mitch Rapolato, insanely good rider by all means. He usually doesn't do much better than twentieth uh, for a World Cup. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the World Cup times, the twentieth rider to where Gwyn or the first place rider is is usually about ten seconds. Um, and so what about the, as I was saying, you know, there was, there's kind of some controversy going on with, uh, USA cycling. Uh, do you have anything to say about that? Yeah. It, I mean, it was just a frustrating weekend in that regard. Like riding was totally awesome. But then like, once you got done with riding, there's this kind of like political side of riding that was kind of like messing with everybody. Um, as most of you probably heard, um, Cam Zink and, uh, what's his, uh, why am I, uh, that's right. Cam Zink and uh, Lucas Shaw got fined for peeing in the woods. Now, I don't know the specifics, but, you know, it's a downhill culture. Like, we don't have porta potties everywhere. Like, you know, you just go in the woods, you do your business, and get back on your bike. Um, you don't really have a chance, like, during practice to really make it down to the lodge and, uh, you know, go to the bathroom. And especially, like, when it's so dry and arid, you really want to stay hydrated. So you're drinking a little bit more than you usually would. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, like, obviously, at times, you're going to have to go to the bathroom. And so, for some reason, one of the USAC officials decided that that was a sanctionable, a sanctionable fine, which in the rule book it is. But it just seems kind of odd because we saw many USAC officials themselves going off to the side in the woods and peeing. And it's not like us riders can go out and find them. And then that was the first thing. Um, that happened um, at the end of the day. USAC sends what they call communique, which is just uh, kind of like an information letter updating you about races and whatnot. And they also list like you know fines. Mm-hmm. And so you saw that they got fines. Well, the next day, um, I got fined. And what had happened was there was this one section of course that we call the elevator shaft, and it was one of the fastest parts of the course. Uh, riders were going up to 43 miles an hour down it, and you had a 90-degree left-hand turn at the bottom. And the issue with it is it was made out of, like, the substance was just loose pumice. It wasn't like an actual berm. So sometimes the turn would be there. Sometimes it would be completely gone. Mm -hmm. And 10 feet behind that 
was a set of metal barriers like you see on like the Tour de France or just lining any kind of event to separate the crowd from the riders. Mm -hmm. But the issue is if you blew out that turn, there is a 100% chance, okay, that's a little exaggerated, but there's a very good chance that you would go into that metal barrier. So this year I kind of, you know, I, I was sick of seeing other riders getting hurt and I had asked a few officials and a few um, mammoth workers to kind of, you know, just consider putting some uh, padding in front of that for safety because I, I just couldn't take it anymore. So I went up to one of the like officials uh, and asked them if they would do that, which quote unquote they would look into it. But that wasn't enough because we still had a ton of riders coming down. So what I did is I asked one of my friends, Grandma Pitts, and a few others to grab some hay bales, which were doing absolutely nothing at the finish line, and put them in front of the uh, barrier just to pad it a little bit. So if you did crash, you know, it would be a softer, uh, more comfortable crash, not, you know, bone-breaking. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, that apparently, like, the announcer had said, don't do that, which is not a USAC official. Because I got fined for uh, disobeying a USAC official, not anything else. Um, and so, you know, in my opinion, the announcer is not USAC official, so whatever. Like, And even in my mind, like, I don't care if I get fined because if I'm going to, like, I don't want to see my friends get hurt. Right. And that, like, so to me, a $20 fine is, you know, absolutely worth it if I'm preventing from somebody going to the hospital and ruining like either their season, weekend, or whatever. With that said, do you have any any last thoughts on the on the weekend you'd uh, you'd like to get out? Whew, um. Well, I'm not sure if you uh, watch uh, Mountain Bike Mania, but after looking at that video, that go around I did uh, in the middle of my run was definitely way slower. If if you go back and watch it, I actually took a go around from one of Rock Gardens where I almost had a bad crash and I didn't want to get hurt, so I chose to go around and. I timed it with another rider and it seemed to be not that much slower, but looking at the video, whew, that was definitely one or two seconds slower. So I kind of wish I had just stuck to the main line. You know, I might've had a like fifth place finish in me, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's not a great wrap up. <laughs> well, hindsight is, is 2020. All right, cool. Well, thank you very much for, uh, for taking the time and, and uh, talking about talking about the race. Well, thank you very much for having me. And, uh, you know, I talked to Elliot Jackson at uh, National Champs and, you know, we both agreed what you're doing with this podcast is pretty incredible. And uh, we love we love it. We love to see the mountain bike sport growing, whether it's through riding or through things, uh, you know, on the Internet. So thank you very much for having me and uh, I'll see you later. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks again to Phil for doing that. If you enjoyed that interview, you can actually check out a longer interview I did with Phil about a month ago in episode 8 of the podcast. Uh, it was a lot of fun, that conversation, so definitely check it out. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends via Facebook, Twitter, email, however you'd like. It really helps us expand the show, and I really appreciate it. Also, please leave a review in iTunes. It helps us move up the charts and, and get noticed by, by more people. And finally, if you have any feedback for me on how I can improve the show, you can email me at thenewstandardpodcast at gmail.com or uh, leave me some feedback in iTunes. Thanks very much, and I'll see you all next week.